Welcome to episode number 173, Thomas's Doubt. I'm your host, Damon Soka. In all of the wonderful events surrounding the Atonement and the Resurrection of Christ, I find a story that in some ways has always been somewhat comforting to me. It might seem a little strange to you, but it isn't to me. It comes after the resurrection of Christ. The Savior has appeared to ten of the eleven remaining apostles. However, one was not present at that first meeting. We know him as Thomas. Thomas was not a weak link in the apostolic chain, and yet he is often referred to as Doubting Thomas. As for me, I am grateful he allowed his story to be told. I would not think it easy to be an apostle of Christ and be known for doubting the resurrection. Yet this was his story. He would not believe until he had seen those pierced, resurrected hands. We are given nothing as reference or background for his statement, although given his devotion to the Savior, it is safe to assume that emotionally he was distraught and depressed in heart and mind. There exists something that I love about this story. He had more than sufficient evidence, and yet his emotional state would not allow him to believe. His emotional trauma had cast doubt into his mind so deep that no other evidence could convince him but the resurrected Christ himself. Thomas, for reasons the Bible does not explain, would not take the sworn word of his fellow disciples that Christ had appeared to them as a resurrected being. I admit, any method by which we seek to really understand Thomas is going to be conjecture. We simply do not know him or the circumstances other than a few recorded verses of scripture that have been translated to Greek and then to English. Yet I will admit feeling somewhat of a kinship to this apostle, who was in a difficult emotional moment of time. Not only did his Savior and Redeemer die on a cruel Roman cross and was buried in a tomb, no doubt Thomas saw him dead and felt the nail prints in those lifeless hands. Thomas was not present when the Savior reappeared as a resurrected being. We are not told why Thomas was not there, only that he wasn't. Someone might think that perhaps this disciple of Christ did not heed a prompting to be where he needed to be, that somehow his missed opportunity was the result of a lack of diligence. I personally like to think that it was actually the opposite. The Savior prepared the way for Thomas to be gone when he was present the first time, because we needed his experience in our own lives. When you think of the small amount of recorded events in the New Testament and what little we have of the life of Christ and his apostles, then you must understand that anything we have now was of great importance to us. Thomas's story is very important to our understanding of doubt and belief. He provides us with a unique perspective of doubt. Doubt is certainly not new to scriptural stories. Even the Book of Mormon starts with two individuals whose doubt was ever-present. Laman and Lemuel are probably the epitome of doubt, considering the evidences they had of a divine presence in their lives. Alma the Younger was the son of a prophet, and he certainly took his time to doubt and believe. In fact, as we look at the scripture from a perspective of doubt and belief, we find the reoccurring theme again and again. While I could certainly cite various stories in all the scriptures we currently possess, I do want to focus on the story of Thomas, because for me, his tale of doubt to belief comes closest to our own issues with mental or emotional illness. 
While we do not know if Thomas had any emotional issues, most certainly the death of the Savior caused a serious emotional darkness to ensue in his life. That is obvious by his unwillingness to believe the evidences he had received. His unwillingness points to a particular problem with doubt. Doubt is an emotional experience. Yes, doubt does possess a flavor of rational thought, but the overall makeup of doubt is emotion. Thomas expresses this almost perfectly in that given the rational evidences provided by several witnesses, there would exist no reason for him not to believe the evidence. These are men and women he trusts implicitly in his life. Beyond what should have been full trust and belief, these men and women had not expected the resurrection, and Thomas would most certainly have known that. So not only are they providing evidence to Thomas, but Thomas knows that previous to the evidence, they probably would not have believed either. Rationally, there exists no reason for Thomas's disbelief. And so we are left with the only other conclusion that can be that doubt is truly an emotional experience, not a rational one. I will admit that we don't know if Thomas's emotional doubt was more a long-term issue or simply a momentary depression, depression brought on by the loss of someone he truly loved, although for our purposes today I'm not sure that it really matters. While mental illness does not always have a specific reason, depression brought on by a particular reason is almost identical in its effects upon the soul. What we see in Thomas is something incredibly important to, to the understanding of doubt as an emotion, and how it relates to mental and emotional illness. Doubt is truly a symptom of mental illness. When Thomas doubts the resurrection, we see the very workings of how mental illness clouds our faith. When we descend into, into that dark world of mental illness and our episodes ebb and flow, we should expect that doubt will be a consistent concern, because doubt appears within us as an emotion. Our illness can and does affect our ability to feel our belief. I personally have been afflicted regularly with this symptom of doubt that not only ebbs and flows with depression and anxiety, but also varies in intensity. The stronger or more poignant the episode, of the, episode the greater the feelings of doubt. While current science and psychology will not likely include doubt as a symptom of depression, anxiety, and bipolar, when considering the spiritual, doubt most certainly is a symptom. What I have also found is that Often for me, doubt will precede the episode. I can often feel the doubt before the depression and the anxiety. It has taken me many years to understand how feelings of doubt interact with my spiritual nature. For many years, reoccurring doubt has been troubling to me as I have continued faithful to the church covenants. I have asked regularly why I have such deep feelings of doubt while I've been true to my covenants and my testimony. Now, I've certainly not been perfect, and no one is, especially given the issues surrounding mental illness. But I felt my standing in good shape with the Lord only to have great doubts enter my mind. Now, everyone from time to time has doubts. That's really not the problem. That is part of life. But mine have remained stubbornly stuck or stubbornly sticky in my mind, even with all I can do to cast it from the center stage. This is one thing that I have learned regularly about emotion and the chemistry of the body and mind. While thoughts can create motion, emotion, 
We should also more fully understand that emotion can also create very stubborn thoughts. I would suppose that most individuals who know me would be surprised to find that I have struggled with doubt much in my life, but it has been a consistent battle for me. I, like Thomas, have certainly had sufficient evidences to know fully of the Christ and his mission. Doubt for me should be more like a snowflake on a hot summer day, and yet it continues to reoccur. I, in some ways, I, I in some ways hope that my admission is perhaps helpful to others. When you deal regularly with depression, anxiety, and even bipolar, you should always be aware that doubt will be a regular companion. What I love about the account of Thomas is that evidence, even strong evidence, didn't seem to clear the overpowering doubt in his mind. The doubt for Thomas was not a function of his testimony or of the evidence. It was an emotional response to a traumatic event in his life. In a sense, he was within a deep episode of mental and emotional distress. Thomas demonstrates how difficult it can be for even the very elect to overcome depression and doubt brought about by a traumatic event or even a mental and emotional illness. It can be at times all-consuming and overwhelming to the person, to the point that really no amount of sincere evidence will provide the needed relief from doubt. For Thomas, it was enough to see the Lord and to feel those warm hands again. For many of us who suffer with these reoccurring bouts of doubt, we may not have had that moment of relief as Thomas did. We may simply need to pass through to the other side. There are some things, however, that can be helpful to us as we pass through the moment or moments of doubt. The first is probably the most difficult because, again, doubt is an emotional experience and part of our reality. When we feel these moments of doubt and we know that we have been doing our best to keep on the covenant path, then we should fully understand that our doubts are simply symptoms of our illness rather than something to consider real. We can say this is a symptom that is not real to us. It is driven by chemistry, not by the soul or something spiritual. Now, is that difficult to do? Absolutely. But personally, I have found that isolating the doubtful feelings is helpful to my reality. Yes, doubt feels very real, but identifying that it is not a personal weakness of testimony is important. Isolating those feelings as best we can and waiting and asking for them to pass is also important. If we allow them to overwhelm our soul, they can slowly deteriorate our testimony and darken our soul and mind. You still have a testimony that is intact, but obviously it is difficult to feel through that chemistry of doubt. The second thing we need to do is to keep working at managing our illness. When doubt arises, it is very easy to give up on all those goals to keep us emotionally stable. You can certainly doubt that anything is working. While you might not be able to keep every goal that you have, you should do your best to keep moving in the right direction you'll be far better off, even if that doubt remains for a while. Third, prayer should be a consistent pattern throughout the day. For me, I have to keep an open dialogue with the Lord almost consistently as I work through it, and sometimes even that falters a little. When doubt arises, prayer tends to diminish drastically, simply because it is difficult to feel a response or really feel anything at all. 
or even to believe that someone divine is listening. Talk to the Lord, even if it feels like you are talking to yourself. I know I have said this regularly. Be honest with the Lord with, about your feelings and your emotions. Not disrespectful, but honest. Expect that the Lord will also be honest. There is no sense trying to say the right things in the right way and make our prayers, as we might say, spiritually correct. Yes, we should pray appropriately, but we can get into patterns of prayer that are not healthy to our soul or mind. The Lord wants to hear from you. I regularly talk to him as though he is there standing beside me throughout the day, not more formally as I would do in the morning and evening prayers. I express my concerns, my griefs, my happiness, my questions and doubts, and I expect that he will answer in his way. Prayer can be and is one of the more difficult patterns to keep when the symptoms of doubt appear, but it is one of the more important ones to continue even when you really don't feel it. Finally, understand that the doubt you feel is certainly a symptom of your illness, but it can also be helpful to you in many ways. Doubt will create questions, and questions are how we deepen our testimony. For me, Doubt has always been a small gift in my life. It has caused me to question so much about the gospel, and that has brought answers. I have a deep reservoir of answers and understanding because I have worked through so much doubt. However, you cannot allow doubt to become a part of you. Doubt must pass, must be a pass-through emotion, one that when the time comes, you allow it to pass out of your mind and body. Doubt, in my experience, can be very sticky and slow to move, especially if you allow it to become a part of your being. Yes, doubt can become a part of who you are if you don't work to remove it. Doubt and belief are emotions, and they are affected by our, both our body chemistry and our spiritual natures. Like belief, doubt can become a part of who we are if we allow it to remain. The key is to allow it to pass through and not to stay. The only way that doubt passes through is that belief takes its place. We must work to believe the truths we know. Too many individuals forget that belief requires work, and that is even more important when you suffer from an illness that creates and maintains doubt. We must work towards belief, and doubt will then leave without leaving a significant mark. Like Thomas, we will eventually have our moment of relief when knowledge will replace both the doubt and the belief. However, until that moment, we must see our doubt for what it is, a symptom of our illness, not a reality of our testimony. May the Lord bless you this week to openly see and understand your doubt in a new way. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.